0: just be something special happening in Manchester. A week after their best performance on the road in years, the Sharks pulled off an outstanding upset for the second consecutive week, handily beating Saracen 24-18 at the AJ Belt on Friday night. The win moves the Sharks into fifth in the Premiership and the fan base, away from relegation fears, towards dreaming of a sustained push above both the top six and maybe even a playoff place. My name is Lewis, welcome back inside the Shark Tank, and joining me to discuss Friday night's event is my good friend James. James, we must finally say conclusively that the BT Sport curse is just a myth. Can we not?
1: I bloody hope so. No, I mean, yeah, we absolutely blew that one out of the water, didn't we? And I was very, very thankful for it, Um, being there. it It was actually a pretty special evening.
0: I was uh, thinking about this before we came on air, and just quickly, I want to start this podcast by by talking about Friday Night and how, in many ways, I I genuinely feel like it could be the perfect advert for for, for Sharks rugby. Great conditions, excellent rugby, both in terms of quality and in terms of uh, drama throughout the game. Uh, Good quality play from both teams and some star names. Uh, ...popping up... ...believing Napoleon... Denny Solomona... Uh, ...amongst uh, a few others... ...really sort of living up to their billing... ...as international stars... ...a really good crowd... ...especially considering the fact that... ...the game was on TV... ...and it was on a Friday night... ...and as a result... ...a great atmosphere as the crowd was noticeable, even for those like myself who were just watching on TV, having a palpable effect on the team and the players and and how the match was proceeding. I think it was a a perfect storm uh, of everything uh, around the club, especially around what they're trying to build, which was capped off by the fact that not only did they win and make good on the thousands of pounds b- people are paid to, to get into the ground and, and watch the game and, and create this fantastic atmosphere but the fact as well is that they not only won but but, but beat a very good team be arguably the best team in the country extra chiefs aside I think it was just absolutely perfect it was a, it was a perfect storm. it was a fantastic evening even for people who weren't able to make it to the AJ Bell uh, and I think obviously as I sort of mentioned in the introduction it does genuinely feel like something special is happening uh, this season for sale Absolutely,
1: I thought that the performance was absolutely outstanding and I'm sure we'll go into individuals and tries and, and things like that. But in terms of the match day experience, it's the best I've experienced at sale. Um, all of the crowd were getting involved with thinking they were Paul McCartney, um, which was absolutely fantastic. Um, the Sharkey before the game was absolutely packed and actually I mean I was there at six ten past six, so pretty early doors. Considering it was a 7.45 kickoff, which we've struggled with recently, I think it, with it being in and around Christmas, the traffic was less bad, less people commuting back from work. But certainly, you know, the, the, the stands were full for the start of the game and, and the Sharky was pretty full, even at 10 past six. So people were well oiled, done a few drinks. And I think it really added to a really great atmosphere. And, um, you know, Sale then you know, went on to really serve up a great show. Of not just great rugby but real commitment and I think if there's one thing that fans really want to see is you know if, if even if you're not winning, it's absolute blood, sweat, guts commitment to the shirt and and to the club. And I think that the fans hopefully have seen a team on the pitch that are committed to playing for Sale Sharks and I hopefully that will build our community of Sale Shark supporters up again, back to you know where it was when we were at Esley Park and beyond.
0: And I think the fact that all of this played out on BT Sport in front of the rugby community, the the, the rugby audience in this country, is just a, just an uh, like an added bonus in terms of everything that Sale have been striving to build over the past few years. You know, since they moved to the AJ Bell, and there's been issues with public transport and traffic, and uh, especially with Friday night games. The fact that everything sort of came together very well on this on Friday, off the field. To then have that matched by the team's performance on the field and produce arguably one of our best results in a decade in beating Saracens and beating them comfortably as well let's not let's not forget that point. The fact that this all came together and it's on BT and people were able to watch it all around the country, I genuinely feel will help if we if, if we see a sea change in how sailor perceived on field off the field you know um, sort of reporter drama aside, if we do see how sailor being are being represented differently as they continue to strive uh, to, to reach the top of the Premiership uh, and play consistently at the top levels of Europe. I think we can look at this game on Friday night against Saracens almost as being the turning point where everything came together, a fantastic performance off, uh, on the pitch, a fantastic atmosphere off the pitch and the fact that by beating Saracens, still have really managed to build, begin to build their reputation uh, in terms of what we can expect from this team moving forward for the rest of the season
1: absolutely it's nothing more than we deserve as well we've really grafted for some difficult wins and you know I I know that there'll be some banter forthcoming from some of our listeners around Alex's tweet saying we were relegation contenders Um, but having said that you know we we were scraping wins then and I, I always said that you know if you're winning then that's what builds the confidence to be able to go on and be able to have the performances that we've had at Gloucester and now against Saracen's it's unfortunate really that the premiership is coming to an end because i really felt that we were on a bit of a roll some of the players that you know we've got are playing some of the best rugby they've ever played and everyone seems to be getting the best out of each other and the bt sports coverage as well it was ideal timing because it gave steve diamond and the club a chance to show the wider success story of our club um, which hasn't been getting reported in the press and You know, we had lots of nice comments about our piece last week on the the Sam uh, Peters affair. And the thing that I think, you know, I think the thing that I was most frustrated about was that it wasn't a fair, um, sort of a balanced opinion. And uh, maybe it wasn't balanced on the BT side. They gave uh, Steve Diamond lots of airtime, etc., But I think that um, we got all the positives over. Steve, I thought, was excellent around points around the academy and the 100 club and the sort of battle against rugby league and football and all this kind of thing. And we've now seen that play out in other articles um, saying similar things from Brian Moore, um, from Austin Healy, etc. And uh, with today's signing as well, which we'll get onto in a little bit, it really does feel, as you said in your opening, that... We might be on the cusp of something here. For the first time, we're going into transfer season in a really exciting, strong position, uh, and, and it's the first time I've really felt that you know the Steve Diamond Year Zero, uh, you know that that we keep getting every year. Actually, I think it has a really good chance of actually bearing
0: fruit. Well, you brought us very nicely onto the three-word reviews of Friday night's win and we want to start with that tweet from uh, Van Cannonball because I think it's very important, although he can't be with us today that Alex eats crow for, uh, for his very passionate uh, response to, uh, to a sale victory of all things over Northampton uh, a couple of months ago. So Van Cannonball's tweet, his three-word review of the game was prime relegation candidates uh, and unsurprisingly, um, all the other reviews that we've had are outstandingly positive, um, although I'm going to start with this this, this odd one that I, that I spotted because I thought it was quite interesting, okay, from Kevin Hill Media Ignore Sale uh, I thought, okay, fair enough uh, Shona Tattler, Payback Time Deb, J- uh, Deb Jace, Re-Rattled Saris, uh, Luke Jones Sharks outclass Saris uh, 20, Triangle Horse Face 20, Billy Vunapola's Comeback I thought that was a very interesting point about how the press covered the game uh, Dave Baldwin, Billy Got Curried, whatever you want it to be, fabulous. Manco, what an atmosphere. Max Boyle, every player superb. Cornish Shark, Ashton organized well. David Alderson, total team triumph. Gary Holmes, top four awaits. Lee Watson, dominant pack performance. Andy Taylor, incisive centre pairing, uh, and finally Mike Atley to the rock, fizzing, ferocious, fan bloody tastic. James, can you give us your three word review? of Sale's yeah. victory over Saracens we ask the listeners every week but interesting, can you can you summarise just how important this victory was and, and how fantastic a result it was for Sale in only three words and then I will give you a few more to, to start to dissect the uh, the game
1: I think Saris were rattled is the thing that I really took out I thought that what was really interesting was the ending of the game and so many people just couldn't understand the way that Farrell kicked the ball out I could understand it because someone was going to get hurt <laughs> Um, and uh, we were just absolutely ferocious defence, and he was trying everything, cross-field kicks, you know, half-breaks, flicks inside, reverse passes, and eventually he probably just thought, hang on, we've had enough of this. They've been at us the whole time, they've been smashing us backwards, and and we're just happy to take a point and get on that bus back down to to, St Albans, because I thought they were lucky to get the bonus point. I thought I thought we really did a job on them in every single area. Farrell had a good game, and outside of that, you know, every one of our players outplayed their opposite number. I felt.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. And you mentioned how lucky Saracens were to get a losing bonus point. The fact that they were only able to claw back within seven points in the 70, uh, 78 79th minute with a rolling mould try is indicative of the fact that Sale, bar a slight wobble to start the game, where Saracens sort of again had the measure uh, of the Sharks in the first five or ten minutes or so, the Sale completely played Saracens off the pitch. And how many times, as just, just general rugby fans, have we seen a team like Saracens who let's not forget had all their international players available the Vuna Polars Farrell etc get as outplayed as they were on Friday what a testament to the job that Diamond, Deacon, West the coaching staff the players the trainers everyone is doing at Sale at the moment in terms of building a, a genuine competitor for the top 6 and top 4 I thought this this is why I, I genuinely believe this is one of the best performances we've seen for Sale in years because it doesn't matter what, uh, which element of the game Attack, defense, set piece, so uh, discipline, so were absolutely dominant in all areas, and it was absolutely fantastic to watch.
1: Absolutely, I mean, then, then, should we talk about some of the players then? I mean, who caught your eye the most? I mean, you could go through the whole team probably,
0: but were there, you know, a couple of players that really stood out for you? Well, I think what, what's really interesting, and not to pat myself on the back too much, but I, I mentioned last week in the preview that that Vincent Cock was a very sort of. Uh, uh, illustrative example of of sort of Sarri's forward dominance and the fact that they're loaded with Tier One internationals. And so it's very interesting that we've seen him go up against Ross Harrison, who is very much uh, uh, an example of how Sale have built their forward pack. You know, through the through the academy, through cheap, you know, relatively um, cost effective signings. I thought it was a really interesting sort of dichotomy that was going head to head. And I want to start with Harrison because I thought he was absolutely superb. On Friday night, not only did he actually get the uh, get the gain ascendancy over. Vincent Cock, who, let's not forget, was with touring with South Africa over uh, over the autumn. But the fact is, he was absolutely superb around the pitch as well. He, not only is he a, a, a ferocious tackler, who just makes tackle after tackle, he's also a very good uh, bulk carrier. He's not going to be breaking the game line. He's not going to be making lots of yards. But what he does do is just consistently two, three yards, takes the ball into context, allows the back line to reset by drawing in some defenders. I thought the fact that he... Um, you know the fact that he was able to do all that and completely take apart Cock at the um at the scrum was was absolutely fantastic and, and in a similar vein Will Griff John deserves mention they were very good at sort of baiting he was very good at baiting Mako Vunopola into conceding penalties um and I thought he did a fantastic job around the park as well. And then the the two players in the back line um who really felt for me I mean Sam James deservedly got a lot of the plaudits. He was absolutely superb. Barely put a foot wrong all game, both in attack and in defence. Um, but I thought what was very, uh, very important was work that James O'Connor did. Not particularly flashy. Didn't necessarily make any significant uh, breaks from the game line or, or score any tries or really contribute in the sort of playmaking department that we know he can do. But what I thought O'Connor did really well was just work as as, as a twelve as that sort of big bruising ball carrier to run straight down the 10-12 channel and make hard yards. And what and as Sam James alluded to in his post match interview when he's been interviewed um, by BT as man of the match was the fact that the fact that O'Connor does all the uh, all the graft he does do a lot of bulk carrying uh, and making sort of short gains, and the fact that his feet are so deadly that it forces uh, opposition defenses to back off is what allows Sam James the space that he needs to to uh, fulfill his potential as both a playmaker and as an in play kicker and I thought the two of them together whilst James had got a lot of the plaudits it was the fact that O'Connor was doing so much sort of hard graft. Uh, especially in the 10 12 channel, um, was the reason why James was able to really sort of uh, put together one of his best games of the season. Uh, James, I assume that there are plenty of other players that you would like to mention as, uh, uh, as as being worthy of mention as we sort of dissect the result from Friday. I mean, there isn't
1: anybody that you wouldn't want to mention, is there? Um, I take your point on James O'Connor. I thought you know, his focus was very much on carrying, taking the ball over the game line, very physical Saracen's defence. Um, and that was actually probably maybe not his natural game. He has put on some weight, um, but he did it for the team, and uh, absolutely deserves plaudits for that um, because he did it quite effectively. Um, I thought his distribution, which wasn't his main job, um, wasn't his best. Uh, there was quite a few passes, you know, that went went to floor, etc. But in terms of the basics, we got that right, and we got that right across the park. Our set piece absolutely phenomenal at the moment. Um, scrum, line out. Weber's just on fire. I mean, this is the best that we've seen Rob Weber play for Sale these last two or three games that he's played. Um, he's looking fit. He's playing many, many minutes. He's hitting his man in the line now. But, you know, let's be honest with him at Hooker. Um, he looks like he's had a few beers. Does Rob? You know, he's going to be difficult to push back. You know, when he's uh, uh, you know, if he's not striking his own ball in terms of attacking the opposition scrum I think he's a big part of why Harrison and Wilgriff John are starting to walk forwards and I thought that Wilgriff John to your point was absolutely superb he absolutely did one over on Mako Vunipola not just in the tight which to be fair Mako's been pretty strong in the tight for the last two or three years now Uh, it was a previous weakness but he did what didn't completely in the scrum and then around the park I thought his work rate matched Vunapola, And he basically man-marked him and just smashed him every single time he got the ball. His tackling and defence is absolutely superb. And uh, he basically could he could barely you know, walk off uh, when he was substituted. It was the right call to bring Joan Jones on, I felt, um, just because he'd given everything. So, yeah, I mean, I get the point on, on those um, other players that I want to um, just mention. I really want to mention the clerk. For me, it was his best performance in a sales shirt this season. I know he's not played many games, but he was by far his most influential. I felt thought he's absolutely excellent. Obviously, Dupriya kicking the goals. You know, he only missed that one that went to the left because he slipped. You know, otherwise, I'm pretty sure he would have got that as well. And then the other one was a bit out of his range. But I mean, it dropped right in the middle of the post. So um, you know, an extra yard, and that that would have been over. Chris Ashton. Solid under the high ball, lots of question marks over his performance under the high ball, but I thought he did well. It was a still day, there wasn't any wind. It was also good weather and hard underfoot, but he quitted himself very well defensively as well as, well as uh, offensively. And clearly Denny's absolutely back on it, and uh, Steve Dime's absolutely right, he should be in the mix for England. The only downside is McGuigan uh, looked like he'd uh, done his hamstring again, which he's just come back from. So um, you know, I don't think we're going to be seeing him during the Challenge Cup games, and uh, I think he'll be lucky really to get in the mix for Scotland because he's not played that much rugby in the last few weeks. it
0: would be interesting to see what happens with McQuigan as well. If it is a, a sort of medium-term injury, do we see Ashton move off uh, off uh, fifteen uh, out to the wing? Do we see Sam James maybe move back to fifteen to cover? Especially since Rohan Yansie van Rensburg uh, approaches sort of match fitness. Will we see a reshuffle of the backline, line? And that would be a, a crying shame because to be perfectly clear, this is for the first time all season that we've had the back line all fit and firing. And this is still without AJ McGinty as well and Marlon Yard. And we're actually finally starting to see the benefit of how this team has been constructed, which is to gain parity at the scrum, focus on quick ball through your back row and get it out to your uh, back line, who... Sort of pound for pound, are probably the most dangerous in the entire Premiership, and there's a case to be made for for parts of Europe as well. And I think actually, indicative of that fact is is sales uh, sales. Well, both of both of sales tries against Saracens on Friday. But let's let's start with that uh, that uh, that Denny Solomona one up for Citizen Try of the Week. I noticed uh, earlier today. It's just a fantastic back move that starts with. Um, so that starts with a very quick thinking from Sam James some very quick thinking from De Klerk To notice what James and Solomona were working on And it's just a perfect distribution from James To cut a hole in the Saracens defensive line For Solomona to race through And then a superb finishing from Solomona To get around Liam Williams And Scamper over effectively unopposed It was just a superb performance from all around And the fact that we have these players Playing in their right and natural positions With some game time under their legs with the right players around them, with a bit of chemistry, it allows Sale to produce moments of magic like that from, from what was otherwise a, a relatively safe defensive position for Saracens.
1: Yeah, I thought that try it was absolutely excellent. I mean, it showed why Sam James did a better job filling in at 10 than James O'Connor did. Because what Sam James does is he looks at the defence and he, you know he's able to read the defensive patterns, he's able to see the weaknesses in the defensive patterns and he's a very natural ball player he's about bringing others into the game that's what he does so so well and this was excellent he's had a little word with Denny go right we're switching and he switches and the clerk knows this is Sam James he spotted something they're both coming at pace and he's a ball player and Sam James that ability just to flick the ball inside perfectly timed right out in front and then of course Denny you know amazing step off his left really was actually one of the best uh sidesteps we've seen him do. Um, and then he just had the gas, you know, against Alex Good to, to, to get in. But it was a terrific try. Um, and you know outdid the, the, the first one which was less of a, a team move um, but again more of awareness from Sam James. I think the ball went in behind him, didn't it? Someone shoveled the ball onto him. He had to twist and turn. Immediately, then they did a bit of a one-two, and uh, Sam James scored. And b- both tries—you know—the first half, second half was scrappy. If the whole game was like the second half, I don't think there would have been many neutrals who would have uh, got on board with enjoying that. But with the situation in the game and the fact that we were ahead of the uh, head of the leaders, it just this meant the second half that had that kind of intensity. Everyone expecting Saracens to come back, but then it just never happened and that's why it was a great game for, for the telly but the first half we showed people we could play rugby
0: I think just quickly before we move on to the game management aspect that you've sort of led me quite neatly into just on that, that first try for Sam James it all starts actually because of a because of a broken play the ball doesn't go to hand uh, Rob de has to sort of ship it on to James but what I thought was, was very encouraging about that try was the fact that it starts because of some individual brilliance from Sam James to spot the, spot the gap and go through it and set off Denny who was able to get around his man, but it's great it's very indicative of, of sales chemistry on, along the back line as well because it was a great team try because the way the ball off a broken play defined a gap, the ball goes out and then back in and it's just little moments like that. How many times have we seen the ball go wide to a winger? He's kept on to it he's been tackled and touched all the play stopped. This the fact that James was able to spot the gap former two on two on one set Solomona free and then have Solomona show the awareness to see the cover defender coming across from Saracen's perspective and just ship the ball back inside for, for Sam James to go over for an easy try how many times have we seen a winger uh, take on the challengers to try to get the ball down themselves in the corner it was a great little bit of team play that all starts because of some uh, incredible individual vision I think it's just moments like that especially against teams like Saracen's where you just need the players to execute properly and, and that's all they did Um, on on Friday night in that first instance and because of that they were able to pad a a very sort of neat lead and that brings me on to my next point which is about game management I said this in the Bath game I said this uh, after the Gloucester game as well but what we've noticed now from Sale is the on-field decision making is is improving so significantly every single week and the fact that after Sale had scored the two tries to go up and, and take the lead into the at half-time break, the fact that then we were consistently making the right decisions when we won a penalty, whether to kick for the post or to kick for the corner, uh, it was so thrilling, genuinely thrilling to watch as a Cell fan, for years where we've had to chase the game and, and make the wrong decisions and not take the points on an offer. I don't know what has changed. I don't know whether or not it's John or Ross. I don't know whether or not it's the leadership group. I don't know whether or not it's coming from Dorian West or Steve Diamond or, or, or whoever else. But what I've noticed... ...is that Sale are now consistently managing the game a lot better. And if you look at actually the score summary... ...after Sale scored that uh, that second try... ...what you saw was Sale were up 15 points to 10... ...they concede one, and then they immediately kick another penalty... ...then they kick another penalty, and then they kicked another penalty... ...and by that point, Saracens were 11 points down and having to chase the game... And I've been—I I will say this to anybody who listens—if you've got even the most slender elites, as Sale did at 1513, just simply punishing teams for their mistakes, building out elite, and forcing the other team to play is the absolute best way of going about managing game, home or away, because at the end of the day. If you've got, if you're able to build a lead, with every minute that goes by, the onus becomes on the opposition to really start to have to try and play rugby, and that's what Sale did so well against Gloucester and against Saracens here, is they forced the other team to play, and when the ball inevitably was knocked on, or they gave away a silly penalty or offside, Sale were able to turn that into territory and then eventually points. It was fantastic to see Sale manage a game and kill a game off uh, as effectively um, as as. as as we've seen in the last four, five, six years, it was a fantastic display not only of individual brilliance, not only of team uh, team play, but also game management.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And don't forget, real improvement in mental resilience. Both against Gloucester and Saracens, we went down to early scores. And in the past, I mean, the wheels really could could have come off. I don't forget, you know, it was only like three or four weeks ago that we were sort of looking downwards now we're definitely looking upwards uh, we are hopeful for a top 6 finish top 4 is not out of the question and uh, things have turned around incredibly quickly now in the premiership we do go into two away games next which, which are going to be tough but they are against teams in and around us and I really really hope that this mental resilience of going down early in games and coming through to win when you might not be expected to you get away at Gloucester and at home to Saracens um, so the, there is a sense of pressure off a little bit is actually turning into thirst to win, and desire to win, because if we take that into our away trips to Northampton, um, who have just lost, uh, and Wasps who have been going through a difficult time, we you know you never know we could at least pick up some points which would be brilliant. Um, so absolutely, that mental resilience is. is um, is definitely clear to see on the field.
0: And it's also worth pointing out that when we discuss planning to go to Northampton, planning to go away to, to, to Wafs, all the coaching staff need to do is is take this last sample of games. Take the games where we've scored you know, 40 points and played a fantastic attacking rugby. Take the games where we scraped and clawed and fought our way to a narrow win and just say, it doesn't matter what type of game that ultimately plays out. You've you've shown in the last couple of weeks you are able to build a win out of out of adversity about of going down early on in games and I think you it is so important and it's hard to quantify and measure but the fact that Sale after the result on Friday are now five games unbeaten in the Premiership and I want to talk a little bit later about how important um, just just any sort of form in the Premiership is at the moment given how the table's shaking out but the fact that Sale have now gone five games unbeaten which is four wins and that draw to Bath is just it's just a perfect example of what this team is capable of and as we look to the later stages of the seasons we've shown that we can win handsomely because we put 35 points on Gloucester and look good doing it we've shown we can you know fight and, and scrap our way to a win because we've done that against Northampton and against Newcastle and against some other teams the fact is now we're seeing a consistent history from Sale about being able to play different types of games in different sort of circumstances but at the end of the day, manage the game. Whether it's a scrappy win, whether or not it's it's really taking advantage of an opponent's defensive weaknesses, we've seen we've actually seen a very clear evolution in the fact that Cell are now actually able to play multiple different ways, and a massive part of that is the improvements we've seen in the pack, and a massive part of that is is having a full fit and able backline ready to, ready to play.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And uh, we talked about the set piece, didn't we, and I think there's been a couple of Stats released from Opta recently, in in absence of, of Alex and match stats, we've got we've got some stats that Opta have released, haven't we?
0: Yeah, so I didn't I didn't want to interrupt whilst you were talking about the the set piece, but uh, as reported today by Opta, Sale won seven out of seven scrums and thirteen out of thirteen lineouts against Saracens on Friday night, which speaks to the way that Dorian West has done, which speaks to the form that players like Rob Webber and Josh Beaumont who we haven't mentioned yet but I thought he had a very uh, another very good uh, game just very very quietly and effectively going about his job especially at the set piece but this is the fifth time this season that in the premiership that Sale have managed to win every single scrum and every single line out that they uh, that they had possession of and no side has managed that more than three times, which is Falcons, which just shows you what an effective and efficient forward pack can do, uh, especially given the potential lack of, of, of sort of playing personnel that would allow you to simply force your way to um, a scum victory or or in the line-out. What Sale have done is actually taken, uh, I think if it's fair to say, a relatively underpowered forward group, and turn them into a very, very efficient and effective uh, unit and that just means getting the ball in and out of the scrum uh, as quickly as possible when you're against a team like Saracens who were able to push us off the ball uh, when, they, uh, when they got a bit of momentum going that, that was clear to see. So what Sale have done instead is, is focus on uh, efficiency and then getting the ball in and out of the, the scrum and getting it straight into the hands of Jean-Luc Dupriau or Josh Strauss or, or whoever, whomever else, and it's the same with the lineouts. Really interestingly, a couple of weeks ago against Gloucester, we were getting absolutely mullered in the second half uh, and couldn't win a, couldn't win anything on our own ball. So what we did was shorten the lineout and started throwing it directly to the loosehead that was uh, stood right at the front. It's little moments like that. It's little ways to influence the game that we're seeing pay dividends in the scrum and lineout statistics, that, and that we are now seeing on the scoreboard as well because we uh, against a team like Saracens who pound for pound did have a better scrum scrum than, than we did we actually were able to completely dominate them by making very smart decisions uh, and making sure that our unit especially at set piece time was as efficient and as capable as they absolutely could be but that a, that's an absolutely fantastic stat I think it's, it's indicative of the work that Dorian West has done uh, in particular since joining the club
1: yeah I mean you yeah <sighs> Clearly he's had an impact, he had an impact quite quickly and it's just got stronger every single week and uh, I do think the scrum was absolutely excellent James Phillips um, pushing and uh, Josh Strauss ran through bricks all day thought he did a job on Billy Vuna after that first uh, 5-10 minutes and uh, there's no doubt about it that our starting 8 are a good scrummaging unit we had one good scrum when Joe Jones came on but as soon as we brought on uh, Evans uh, and the second curry we then were too lightweight and uh, you know we went backwards at every scrum. then it was a problem it led to the penalty that led to the final try so there's definitely a thing there around you know the backup um, from five definitely that we need to think about um, I think what they decided they probably that was a, a known decision and they were thinking well you know what Saracen's going to throw everything at us here and uh, what we actually need is coverage from our back row. And um, Ben Terry, Ben Curry came on. He was absolutely lunatic for fifteen minutes, basically, um, and it made a big difference towards the end. I mean, Josh Strauss was we have just knackered by then.
0: Well, obviously it was it was an absolutely fantastic performance from the forwards, and uh, as a result, they so were able to pick up their fifth uh, 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 their fifth game without a loss. And there's this other opt to start that James prompted earlier that we wanted to mention. So Sale have now got the last five games unbeaten. They've won four and only drawing one away at Bath. And that's actually their best run since a streak of five wins from September to November back in 2006. James, very quick question. Based on, <laughs> based on the performances we've seen from Sale, especially over the last couple of weeks, do you think this might end up being a team that that is the best that we've had as Sale fans since that title winning team in 2006? Uh, and the sort of uh, immediate immediate years afterwards, or do you think there are still some areas that even it's very important wins over Gloucester and Saracens might not quite be able to mask just yet?
1: I think it's definitely the best team we've had since probably about two thousand and eight, two thousand and nine. Um, there's no doubt about that in terms of the quality of our matchday squad, if everybody is fit, um, and, and maybe just slightly beyond that definitely got gaps in the squad, we talked about that but I think that's been identified and for the first time I genuinely think we're going to fill those gaps nicely to get depth into the squad and I also trust Diamond to still give chance to the youngsters coming through so I think we are in a really good position, it reminds me more of the kind of position in sort of 2004, 2005 when we were really building uh, a strong team and uh, we did win a bit of silverware and you knew that we were going to be contenders in the premiership and that's what proved in eventually in 2006 and I really hope we're on the same sort of journey now
0: well part of that journey will be identifying the areas that Sale have perhaps less than optimal depth in and that brings us on very nicely to the news that broke today that Sale as expected and as has been heavily rumoured for the past couple of weeks have signed Wasp's tight head prop Jake Cooper Woolley on a three-year deal. So the deal will take him through to the end of the 2021-2022 uh, 2020, season. We sort of hinted at it slightly earlier on in the podcast when we were talking about Sale looking for additional depth for their Type 5 James, I want to get your opinion on what what was your immediate reaction to this deal. Obviously, we've had a couple of weeks to sort of think about what signing Kubo would mean to Sale, but how do you see him fitting into this the, the starting uh, the starting pack with Sale, and, this, and it, more immediately the front five, uh, and how he'll impact the depth that we have um, across uh, across key positions in the front row.
1: I think he's an absolutely excellent styling Um, but it's a bit of a risk he's had big injury worries in the last couple of years not played as many games as Wasp would have liked we're talking about a 29 year old English qualified tight head prop who is good at premiership level but not going to be playing for England so is available all year round I mean basically they're gold dust and we haven't attracted anything like that for a very long time he's he's 29, he's in the prime of his career as a prop so, I think it's a, a very good signing and actually goes to show, you know, we, we are punching now in this transfer market. And we are obviously paying him enough money to come north. He's a sorry lad who's ended up accidentally in Coventry and decided to stay on the M6. So, you yeah, you would have thought that the gravity would have taken him back south, if anywhere. So, he clearly likes what he's heard. Um, he said in his little statement that he's also spoken to Dorian West and that's made a difference. Will Griff John, bit of a lower centre of gravity, massive legs. Um, J Cooper Woolley again big lad, but he's like six foot three, so he's a bit taller. So I imagine that you know he's a different type of scrummager depending on who we're going to be playing against at loosehead. That gives us different options. But he is good around the park. Um, he doesn't quite have the work work rate as Will Griff John, but you know not far off. He's a good guard defender in and around the ruck. Um, we will still him fit. Um, and uh, so will for sure in defence get him up off the floor so I think he's a very good signing and then you look at the rest of the depth, I think that Joe Jones he came on really solid scrum when he was the only change in the pack and I wonder Joe Jones if you just, just him in a first choice pack whether there's a bit there actually there's enough there to work on as a third choice tight head who's only 22 23, so I'm quite happy with that and then obviously we go down into the academy after that, so if we're looking at um, you know, tight head depth that's where I think we're at I think it probably means that Taras is on his way he's not English qualified we've not really seen him this year um, the uh, experiment at loose head I think really set him back unfairly at the beginning of the season um, but I think we can expect him to probably be heading off um, and obviously if that happens wish him all the best we don't know we've not had that confirmed but it just seems to me Griff John, Cooper Woolley Jones, who probably feels left out on the whole double-barrelled name thing um, and then into the academy seems about right
0: yeah I mean I think you have summarised it very well with regards to sales tight head depth especially on Taros as well because the writing, we, we've already sort of spoken about this but it does very much seem like the writing on the wall for Alex Taros' uh, sale career rightly or wrongly he was never really given a chance in the team, and, and when he was, he was being played in the wrong position. So unfortunately, it was never really a situation for him to be, um, for him to sort of find his uh, his optimum form. But I think you made some very good points about Cooper, Wall, especially in terms of how he's a slightly different scrummager to uh, Will Griff John. And I think the fact as well he says he has slightly softer hands than John. I think he could, in theory, be played more as a link man role. Um, which is what we're seeing a little bit from Ross Harrison as well but to be honest ball playing props are always uh, a very useful tab especially in terms of uh, linking both the team's front row uh, and getting the ball out to, to a back line especially when it's as talented as sales but well, I think this is an, an absolutely fantastic signing you made a very good point about Cooper Woolley's age 29 for most players would indicate that they're either out of their prime or very close to leaving it uh, we know that props uh, age very differently and their um, their maturation cycle is actually very different to a lot of other players to the point where you don't really start to see uh, props break into the first team until they're sort of 23, 24 when you've seen other players break in at 18, 19. So you're actually absolutely bang on with Cooper Woolley being right in the middle of his prime or at least in uh, uh, at least, sort of coming towards a point in his career where, if he's not in his prime, he's still a very effective Premiership operator. And then that takes me to my next point about Cooper Woolley and that I think he's an absolutely fantastic signing for a team that, at times, you know, can be a little bit short on Premiership experience, especially if we're parachuting uh, a number of um, sort of Tier One, you know, foreign internationals into the team next year, as, as has that has sort of been suggested. I think people will. he's been around the block, he knows what the Premiership is about, um, he's a fantastic player both in the tight and in, and in the loose and I think he really cements that that starting tight head position for Sale. I can't not see him being the starter, especially as you made a very good point James, that uh, being 29, being English qualified but not being good, quite good enough to play for uh, England means that he would have been a very valuable commodity for a lot of different Premiership teams so he will therefore <laughs> i would be very surprised if he wasn't making a, a very nice pay packet for himself as he as he moves up north, and so you think with the amount of money that the club will. And able to be investing In them, He will probably be Guaranteed Or as close to guaranteed As you can In a competitive environment The starting tight head shirt But that's why The uh, difference Between himself Between uh, himself Joe Jones And Will Giffen Is so exciting Because he means Sell now with Genuine options In the front row And we're, we're Still yet to see What's going to happen In terms of The uh, loose head And hook positions Whether or not We uh, do end up Signing anymore Spring box Whether Stephen Kitschoff Is anything but A pipe dream At this point we very interested Interesting to see how Cooper Woolley sort of fits in in terms of the team being able to actually alleviate, not only alleviate the pressure on Wilgriff John but actually bring the best out of him as well because Wilgriff John is a very you know uh, impressive physical specimen in terms of his height, his weight and his ability like you said James to sort of uh, play in the loose both as a tackler and as a ball carrier but being forced to play 70 75 minutes on average a week isn't conducive to being as destructive a player as he can be and I think that'll be really interesting to see how we might see Wilger John turn into a very effective super sub sort of player real sort of impact player to bring on who can smash people in the scrum and also smash people in the loose as well but I think it's an absolutely fantastic sign for, for Jake Cooper Woolley and, and I'm interested to get your thoughts on, on this James really quickly I said on Twitter straight after the, the news broke that I sort of saw this a little bit as a Rob Webber signing we've just been chatting about how well Rob Webber has been playing for sale over the past couple of seasons but I, I wonder if you saw the, so, saw the comparison I was trying to make in that proven premiership performers proven performance at a top six calibre obviously Goodwill has been at Watson has been a big part of what they've been building in terms of being a consistent playoff contender and also obviously as well someone who's English qualified and someone who is, uh, has got a lot of experience and should hopefully help any additional players um who might be joining the club over the coming months, really sort of settle in and help them acclimatise the Premiership. I, I sort of saw him as, a, as not necessarily a cornerstone of the pack. He's not necessarily, especially given his age and his playing style, going to be someone you build your pack around. But I think he's a very, very complimentary piece, especially if we end up getting some of those Tier 1 targets that uh, I've just sort of mentioned. Yeah, I, I see the comparison.
1: You know, Webber, when he came to us, he wasn't going to be playing for England anymore. Uh, he just finished at the World Cup third choice hooker I think he was at 2015 wasn't he so he was past his best in terms of international rugby then um, but he performed at two clubs at a very high level so I think he's probably probably gone one step further than Cooper Woolley I think Cooper Woolley is a bit like Will Addison got injured at the wrong times and that's what's affected him getting a cap so I do see lots of similarities he's come on a three year deal as well so that takes him to 32 I think that's quite nice Um, You know, we're basically going to be getting the best Best years out of him as a head. I don't see Will Griff John as an impact sub, although I do see how that that would um, uh, give him a was a different dimension coming off the bench. I think that they will rotate them. I don't think there will be a first choice because I think that Griff John's ceiling on his potential is is very high indeed. And uh, you know, I, if I was uh, a Welsh coach, I'd be thinking about what I could do there. Maybe getting him back to Wales at some point which we might have to be wary of at uh, another point. I know he's, um, he's he's contracted for now. But yeah, I think they're complementary, different types of styles of players. Either Cooper Woolley or Griff John could be impact off the bench um, nicely, depending on who we're playing and what the circumstances are. So considering we've got a first-choice prop who is young already and is first choice, this is a change for sale. We're adding depth of high quality in behind, which we haven't really done much of certainly not in the pack um, since um, we won the title so this bodes well
0: Yeah and it's very interesting as well to see the reaction to to the Cooper Woolley signing and and obviously this is something we'll be um, able to sort of evaluate especially as more transfer news breaks over the coming months um, in terms of sale but whilst we look at Cooper Woolley as being a a short uh, to to medium term impact signing uh, as always on the Shrides Ant podcast we are always looking slightly longer term uh, and especially on the back of the news that broke earlier uh, last week that Sale have six players, six representatives in the England Under-20s elite player squad. Nick Dolly, Connor Doherty, Cameron Redpath, Aaron Reed, Gus Waugh and Kieran Wilkinson. James, I know you are a big um, advocate of Sales Academy and very interested in age-grade rugby. What do you make of this news? And what do you make of this news, actually, is that not only are these particular players that are getting recognition at age-grade level, but the fact that Sale are the only uh, are the team that has the most representatives in this elite playing squad.
1: And I think a lot of them are a year young as well and still have another year to go at under-20 level. And I think we can expect next year for us to have even more, and be even more dominant than this under-20. I've, I've tweeted a few times, hashtag golden generation, but I do think that the red path Wilkinson year... You know, and the and the year below have looked very very strong. We've had a handful from the year above that, but who haven't quite broken through yet. The likes of Sam Moore, etc. Uh, but there's no doubt about it that a lot of these players, um, you know, are on course for being very good players. And I think you know a lot of people say, well, it's under 20 level. And, you know, a lot of people, players don't make it. I agree, but when you start talking of you know a year young, we've got six players in, and Luke James isn't good enough. For under twenties, um, then you know we start thinking. Well, actually, just law of averages, a few of these are going to be very, you know, going to be good for Premiership level, and you might get one or two that play for their country regularly. So I think we can be really really excited about it. We, you know, we've talked about Camber Path. He's had a couple of games under his belt, and hopefully he's fit to play in this in the six, Junior Six Nations and really get a run of games together. And he might come into the reckoning at Sale then towards the end of the season uh kieran wilkinson been outstanding both for sale fc and for sale i think he's a special talent and yeah uh, you know, we've got to manage him really carefully now if rob dupree does come and we've got mcginty as well you know neither of them are sort of old so you know we have to think about how we're going to manage kieran wilkinson um he's a different type of player to those two as well so i do think he'll get his chances um nick dolly i think um you know, I don't think he's maybe pushed on quite as people hoped. He did start for Sale FC at the weekend and played well, you know, keeping Neil Briggs out the side there. Um, but it uh, be interesting to see what he's thrown in is like at the 20 level. I, I do think it's kind of a bit of a make or break for him. Um, and then Doherty being selected in front of Luke James. Wow, I bet that's gone down interesting in the dressing room, seeing as Luke James has been playing senior level rugby for two seasons now and has been pretty much our most consistent centre <laughs> and, and actually looked a bit grumpy on the bench on, uh, on Friday night and he probably is a bit grumpy he, even at his age group he's not in the top five centres um, I'd be livid uh, never mind if I was him I'd be pissed off on my first choice for sale at the moment never mind not in the best five in my age group in the country um, so I do feel sorry for Luke James Aaron Reed. you know I think he'll get his chance now at Connor to start and uh, you know he's definitely been um showing enough to warrant giving a go um, at premiership level and I think uh, under 20s we might see at, at both at 15 and on the wing as well um, and then Gus War switched allegiance to England so obviously either a, a nod and a wink uh, or it's just easier to get to training than trek up to Scotland I don't know but the fact that basically in that England 20 squad we have a 9 a 10, a 12 a 13 and a 14 bodes quite well
0: especially for people like myself who just yearn for exciting attacking rugby and have very little time for boring stuffing up your jumper 6-3 games on Drizzly Friday nights and it's fantastic to see such a pipeline of talent really beginning to flourish for sale but also the fact that it is interesting as well that a lot of that talent is coming in the back line at the moment just really quickly as well you mentioned Gus Warswitch and Allegiance it's interesting as well that Nick Dolly has been selected given that he is uh, uh, for all intents and purposes Australian and uh, joined uh, sale a couple of years ago Um uh, directly from Australia, so uh, again, I'm not necessarily to, to sort of uh, besmirch either his or uh, Gus Wars' um, accomplishments, but it is interesting as well that perhaps we're, we're looking as as, as, uh, as England did a little bit with Sam Moore as well um, to make sure these players who who have such a, such high potential at the top level uh, have it known. That England are keen on uh, incorporating them and have their eye on them and, and want to want to make sure that they're uh, that they stay uh, allied to England as yeah. opposed to Scotland or Wales. that I think the other thing with that is
1: that for like Wales and Scotland, I think their second team designated is the under twenties. So if you, are the under twenties, there, then you are Welsh or you are you know whatever. Um, I think. I'm happy for one of our listeners to prove us wrong on that. Whereas with England, the Saxons are still the designated second side. They've not done anything for a couple of seasons, so certainly it's probably safer playing for England at age group level. I really won't be surprised to see both War and Redpath playing for Scotland in about five or six years' time at Murrayfield in a, you know, uh, in a clash versus versus the Rose. But uh, I'm just really, really pleased with all of that. I think we'll see maybe the odd one or two of the Sale players get in for other teams. Um, for the for, for under twenties Six Nations, um, so that'll be interesting to, to watch out for. And certainly next year, you know, um, okay, Luke James won't be uh, available for the twenties, but all of these guys will be, and then all of the other guys coming through. Some of our pack um, from that year, hopefully, would have you know an extra year makes a big difference at that age. So really excited. Um, if you get a chance to go and watch a, a home England under twenties game, please do and send your report in to us. <laughs>
0: Yeah, we really need a dedicated uh, Academy expert because I think people are getting sick of your uh, half-formed opinions, James. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Certainly yours. (laughs) Well, I don't even pretend to know that as much about the Academy as uh, as you do. But no, I think it is what, what we can all agree, you know, regardless of your level of expertise on. On uh, age grade rugby is the fact that Sale and all their initiatives in in terms of produ- promoting their academy and and really building this club from the grassroots up is really starting to pay dividends and and having six players in the under twenty five is an absolutely fantastic achievement. Just last thing I want to say on this topic actually as well it's sort of very uh, very interesting actually that the odd man out as we we spoke earlier about wingers uh, being rotated and, and uh, in light of that, uh, McGuigan being injured is that Pellwood group appears to have fallen off um, from the sort of sell first team just a little bit and it was interesting to see he. he he joined a couple of seasons ago, and he's a prospect that I, am particularly very, very excited about. But obviously, as a, a sort of as evinced by Aaron Reed being the 23rd man on the bench uh, against Saracens, as he has been for a few games this season, it looks like Aaron Reed has been uh, has sort of overtaken a dogroo in that uh, in that sort of budding youngster role. Uh, and I think the fact that he's been selected for the under-20s is only uh, going to sort of help further his uh, claims for a premiership place. But players like Reed can certainly uh, make a name for themselves in the European Challenge Cup. And that's where action will turn to for Sale and the Sharks faithful next. Uh, a Sale travel away to connaught Now, before we get into the preview... Uh, of that game just a a timely reminder for those of you who might not uh, necessarily have remembered Uh, Sale currently lead their Challenge Cup pool Uh, they have uh, amassed 16 points from four games having beaten uh, Bordeaux Perpignan and Connacht but having lost at home to Bordeaux in the last uh, last, uh, defeat that Sale faced uh, back in um, back in December Uh, however it's a very uh, exciting game for a number of reasons against Connacht on Saturday, as Connacht sits second uh, in pool three with 13 points from their four games. So, we sort of spoke about uh, the, the format and how this might impact sales' chances of progressing to the latter rounds of the tournament uh, a few weeks ago, immediately after the Challenge Cup games. But it does very much seem like this is a winner takes all. I uh, would get match an opportunity for both teams to secure automatic qualifications to the quarterfinals. The way the Challenge Cup uh, Challenge Cup works is there are five pools and the three best runners up uh, will qualify for the quarterfinals. But it does sort of seem, James, doesn't it, that this Sale versus connaught game is very much a case of winning you in lose and it becomes very much a case of being able to run up a a big score uh, against whoever you're facing in the final week of pool games which in sales case is Perpignan in Connacht's case is a, uh, at home and in Connor's case is away a to Bordeaux so I've sort of tried to paint a little bit of a picture it's kind of winner takes all it kind of isn't because they could still win the group even if they lose uh, away at Connor on Saturday uh, as long as they were able to uh, beat Perpignan and buy a better margin than uh, what Bordeaux were able to amass but really interested to sort of get your thoughts in terms of. This is a little bit of a preview. We've sort of spoken about some of the danger men when we played the uh, counterparts of this fixture uh, a few months ago. Uh, but interested to sort of see how your opinion on that might have changed, knowing how the Challenge Cup ball is uh, is currently shaking out.
1: I do think it is a winner takes it all. Certainly, if we win, then we're not just going to qualify for the quarterfinals but we'll probably qualify then go on to qualify for a home quarterfinal um, and maybe even a home semi-final. because La Rochelle did what we did in the last Mm -hmm. round which was have a shocker, uh, have an unexpected loss so we've definitely still got the opportunity there to go far into this competition so I think the result will have a big outcome on how we prioritise this competition moving forwards Um, because I think if we get a home quarter final with a chance of a home semi final then we'll absolutely prioritise trying to win silverware because it'll be the best chance we've had in a long time. If we lose then we'll just you know pick up more weak inside against Perpignan probably still win then we'll see where we're at. Yeah. Um, in terms of Connor themselves I don't I think, I think they thought they were probably out of this group and uh, our shock loss at home you know has brought them back into it. And there are three points that separate it. Connor do go to Bordeaux last game. But they, you know, and Bordeaux will have probably nothing to play for. Um, but having said that, I wouldn't write Bordeaux, Bordeaux off from winning at home. You know, they're in good form and, you know, they, they don't like losing at home. And after the experience with Sale, I think there will be a bit of pressure on to, to perform. But we can't rely on that. I think, with the, you know, us getting a losing bonus and preventing Conant from getting a try bonus could be quite important. Uh, because then I think we go into that last game knowing that a bonus point win against Perpignan will take us through probably even still to our home quarter final if not still definitely in the quarters so we'll be alright so I think um, on that basis I think we'll need to send a very strong side to Connor and just try and knock them out of the competition because then that just leaves the options open for the home Perpignan game then. It enables us to rotate a bit or do what they want um, Connacht themselves, you know, since the 34-13 loss to Sale like at the AJ Bell on the 20th of October, they've been in very good form. Um, they've won games against Dragons at home, the Kings, Cheaters away, Perpignan home and away, and Ulster at home. I wouldn't, I'd say Ulster aside, they're probably the weaker teams in the Challenge Cup and in the Pro 14. But still, you know, beating Ulster is always a good, is always a good thing. Um, so there's lots of wins there they've got used to winning um, the only games they've lost are three and they lost away at the Ospreys away at, Le- uh, at Leinster and at home to Munster so no shame in any of those and they got losing bonus points in all three of those games so they're, they're basically just like used to either nearly winning or winning since we last played with them and I think that's important to take note because that's very similar to us so they're going to be high, high on confidence and they're going to think they can come now and take control of this group so I think we send a strong side to Connor um, and uh, you know I think the only thing to consider is the blistery blowing conditions and with um, McGuigan probably injured now do you throw Reid in on the wing probably deserves it in isolation or do you put our strongest man under the high ball which is Sam James back at 15 and move Ashton to the wing now it might not be if you're at home you probably won't make that decision but it's a must win game and you, you you know Connor will be sticking it up in the air um, and you need
0: to be strong under the high ball so I mean what do you think of this? <laughs> I mean I, I think for a start that was another excellent sort of preview of the game well you know fair play your, your consistency is like Sam James under the high ball every single week <laughs> you are superb um, but no in terms of, in terms of this game I think it is, like you said James, incredibly important to get a win because a win would effectively knock on out of the competition and allow us to play a rotated side which is when you can begin to experiment a little bit more with the back climb. I think in this game there is genuinely a case um, going away to the sports ground to move Ashton to the wing especially given McGuigan's injury. I don't necessarily think it's it's... Uh, the perfect solution I would much rather see Ashton continue to get game time as a 15 in conditions that aren't the south of France and I think it would actually be a very good learning experience for him, especially if we want to continue this sort of uh, quote unquote experiment with Ashton at 15 for the next couple of seasons he has to be able to play in all conditions and and to his credit he certainly has the skill set to do that but given the fact that a win not come out and, and that basically gives us a free week off against Perpignan I would be very tempted to play our strongest side and at the moment our strongest side does have Sam James at 15 I think a big uh, a potential impact on this is who we have available to play in the centres. Um, I've not heard the latest on Rohan Yanzi van Rensberg, but I'd be very interested if he was able to play some role uh, in the game against Connaught, um, especially because that would free up some of our midfield options to, to sort of be moved around. But I think you make a very good point about Luke James as well, and uh, about him being one of our mo- most consistent performers and probably deserving some game time. And so I think actually, when we say that we're going to send our strongest team uh, to Connaught, I think we'll see something very, very close to what we've seen for the previous games against Bordeaux where there'll be a slight amount of rotation. I could definitely see someone like Luke James coming in at 13, especially if O'Connor stays at 12 where he seems to be getting a consistent uh, run of game time. And I think that would mean moving Ashton to the wing and moving James to 15 because at the moment, as as much as I'd like to see Aaron Reid get some game time, it would make our strongest team involves... Probably a back three that has a little bit more experience in uh, at the top level of competition, and that means Ashton at fourth. That means, sorry, that means Ashton at eleven uh, and James at fifteen. Um, I'm sort of very sort of torn on it. I don't necessarily know what the right decision is, but I do know that it is paramount that they'll get their best uh, their best possible fifteen uh, who are available out onto the pitch, and then that that definitely means that I can't imagine there being a lot of rotation. To the team uh, that plays from uh, from the one that started on Friday, uh, I think there's maybe small movements you can make. Maybe you put someone like Bryn Evans uh, into the second row to uh, to put some additional sort of pressure on the Connor line out There's maybe a case to be made for giving Joe Jones an extended period uh, of game time, especially after he impressed in the limited sample size against Saracens. Um, but before we get onto the bench, because there is one player that I definitely want to mention, are there any other changes that you would make aside from Ashton at 15, James? Or do you think the team, especially knowing the context of the, uh, the game in which Sale are travelling to?
1: Yeah, I think Well, I think we, we're going to have to start with Kieran Wilkinson at 10, because Rob Dupree has gone home. Um, and uh, he did start, did Wilkinson played the last two games in Europe? Um, I have got. I think he yeah. probably did so I think we just give him a run out you know just see how he gets on if we surround him by experience everywhere else um, I don't see a problem with that if Fran Rentsberg's back that'll be even better um, but obviously Luke James at, t- at 12 and O'Connor at 13 would go very nicely for me uh, experience back three and then around Sam James at 13 probably feels like the best decision for this game but like you I am torn on it because Sam James just hit such an amazing bit of form at 13 that they might go well actually to squeeze people in and around they might move him to 10 who knows who knows there's a few options it's good to have options we've not had any for a long time um, Well, I'd like to see them throw Wilkinson in and have Reed on the bench as, as sort of impact coming off um, in terms of the pack first choice side for me same as Saracen's Um, because actually we've got this game then if you win this then you don't need to put out your first choice side against Perpignan then you've got like a two week break or something before the Premiership Cup game and then there's another two week break after that before the next Premiership game so there isn't much rugby around so I imagine that that a lot of these players will probably want to play these next two games and then take a couple of weeks off then again, then two weeks off seems alright to me
0: I think that, that that certainly makes sense. And knowing that there's that break coming up between uh, there is a week off from, from all action for Sale uh, at the end of January and then following that immediately after there's a week off uh, where Sale uh, so play Newcastle in the Premiership Rugby Cup. Like you said, if we're thinking about squad management and if we're thinking maybe a little bit about player welfare as well, maybe you do play your first team over the next couple of weeks and then know that you have... The, uh, a set amount of time and give your first team players, your John O'Rosses, De clerk, etc. some time off one player I w- want to really mention before we get on to some predictions actually is a player who might be able to make his debut for sale on Saturday away at Connor, and that is Valery Morozov, almost a little bit of a forgotten man uh, at the moment given that he uh, was announced as joining I it was at the beginning of December from Einti in, uh, in Russia but um, uh, However, immediately after the announcement, it was it was clear that he won't be joining until the new year. So, Morozov is now um, with Sale, at least contractually. Um, but there's been very little uh, in terms of appearances from him. He's not played, he's not. He's not been featured with the Jets unless I'm mistaken. He's not been playing with even with Sale FC or uh, any of uh, the other affiliates with Sale. So there is uh, some. There has been some discussion this week about whether or not he might play. Now, obviously, the, uh, you made a very good point on Twitter, James, uh, that there's a the potential for Morozov to be cup tied since he has appeared in the Challenge Cup competition with Einsey who uh, who are currently in Pool Five. Um, but I think it'd be very, very interesting because we've seen an impact to an extent from Tom Bristow. He's not necessarily played that much and Ross Harrison is still getting the line share in minutes. So we have, with Sale having signed Morozov uh, on a, on a multiple-year deal uh, to join in mid-season, yeah, I think it's reasonable to expect that Morozov might get an appearance. And, and be very interested as well to see whether or not, if he does play, how much time he gets off. Uh, coming off the bench and whether or not he's sort of immediately trusted um, to play the sort of big reserve minutes that we've not necessarily seen anyone uh, take from Harrison over the past couple of years do you think an appearance from Morozov uh, A. is likely given his, uh, his, his previous history in the competition and B. whether or not Connor away would be uh, an opportunity to get Morozov uh, involved with the first team and see what an impact he could make
1: I don't see why not if he's not cup tied. I do, you know. Logic suggests that he will be cup tied because he's already played in this year's competition for another team in another pool. So (coughs) I imagine he's not going to be available.
0: Go nothing else, Marozzo then. I feel like I said it. I said (laughs) it. I'd like to see him involved, but I I think he's probably cup tied. I genuinely feel like I'm the only sell fan who's excited. About the signing of Rossom, I've not since since he was announced. I've not no. heard a peep from him. No one has factored him into our sort of like drive for the top six in the uh, second half of the season. Oh, no, you've you to the mix you, later you... In the season and I think he's a long-term
1: investment, isn't he? You know, to play at high level. I don't think we're going to be risking him um, in the Premiership, um, not unless there's injuries. Now, Flint's back to both Flynn and Bristow, so I think we're not going to see much of him this year, unless it's in the Premiership Cup or if he's not cup-tied in Europe. They'll come much more into the mix the year after, because even if we sign Kishoff, we're not going to see him until after the World Cup, and South will go right to the the end. Then he'll need an enforced break. Harrison, you know, if if, if Flynn and and Bristol aren't with us next year, who knows, then we're going to need somebody off the bench, and I think he looks like an impact player to come off the bench. Good carrier, again, a bit taller than Harrison, so different types of options so I think he will come more into the mix towards the end of this season or you know uh, the Premiership Cup um, game against Newcastle maybe I might think, be a good to, to ease him on ease I, him
0: in. I, you see this this is sort of where I stand and perhaps it's just me being a little bit impatient but I think obviously we, we know that well we can sort of uh, Sort of reasonably believe that uh, you know James Flynn and, and, and Tom, uh, Tom Bristol might not be with the with the club next season, and as a result, that would uh, put the onus on Morozov to to be able to come in and and play some significant Premiership minutes for the club. And although. Like you said, James, you made a very good point that we shouldn't necessarily expect him as a short in mid-season impact signing in the way that we have uh, signed players in previous years. I think if it is possible for Morozov to play uh, against Connor uh, the weekend, I think this would be a fantastic opportunity um, to assimilate him uh, into sort of um, sort of British rugby, uh, as it were. Because I think as as much as I agree on giving him some time in the Premiership rugby uh, shield to get him acclimatized. It could very quickly amount, especially if he's signing for Kitchoff or whoever else doesn't necessarily materialise, that we need him to be an impact player um, from as, as early as the end of this season and the start of next season. And the last thing we want to see is potentially another Alex Taros situation where the game time is sort of um, so conservatively managed, we don't really get an idea of what we have in uh, in him as a player and then eventually it just results in Ross Harrison having to continue to, to play 75-80 minutes a game. So I think, if if possible, I would really, really be keen to, to see Morozov get uh, get at least 15-20 minutes off the bench uh, away at Connor, and really start to to get an idea of, of what we have because, as Sale push on for the top six and top four, playing time is going to be at premium. We're going to be running Ross Harrison into the ground and there's not going to be many opportunities for Morozov to make his mark. So I think over the next couple of weeks... If, uh, if he is with the club, if he is training, and if he is fit and not cup tied, I'd be very keen to to immediately get him um, immersed in the squad and, and see what we have in him in, in terms of a playing asset. But with or yeah. with, with without Morozov, um, Sale so will still be travelling to Connor and will still be playing a very important game in their Challenge Cup uh, as part of their Challenge Cup campaign. So, James. Score predictions. Unfortunately, Alex isn't with us this week to tell us how all wrong we were cause, uh, for predicting uh, Sale to, to be sort of comfortably beaten by Saracens. But let's uh, let's let's not let that dissuade us. Let's have another go at some predictions. How do you see Sale's game against Connor playing out? I think
1: we're going to win. Uh, Connor fourteen, Sale sixteen.
0: Close, close, close game in, in terrible conditions. It is it's what yeah. you sort of implied. Yeah. Classic for the sports ground, I suppose. What about you? I believe, again, that that sale will win. I think we'll put put out a good team. And I think, um, as the return fixture, reverse fixture at the AJ Bell showed, that we should have enough class um, for Connor, even if they put out a similarly uh, first strength team. So, as a result, I'm going to say sale 25, Connor 19. I'm going for uh, another narrow win for sale so that's this week's episode Uh, just me and James this week unfortunately Alex uh, wasn't able to be with us and he won't be with us for the next couple of weeks um, due to some work commitments but he will be back in a few weeks time to replace James as James uh, disappears for a couple of weeks so um, I want to say a big thank you for James for making sure this wasn't just a one man show this week Um, cheers mate and I want to say a big thank you as always um, to the fans. I want to thank everyone who's interacted with us Twitter over last week. We had a fantastic uh week for listeners. Uh, last week in terms of um, plays and listens and, and sort of engagements with the podcast. is one of our best weeks ever. So I just want to say a big thank you um, to everyone who's contributed to that and thank you uh, for everyone who's made it this far in the podcast and continues to listen to us drone on even after an hour. So I want to say a big thank you to everyone uh, Thank you um, for keeping us on our toes on Twitter Thank you for pulling out old tweets uh, that said we we're going to be relegation candidates uh, so they you can uh, just uh, put that in our faces after we're marching on for the top four and I think that's everything for me James is there anything else that you'd like to say before we sign off
1: no not at all Uh, thanks to all the listeners and people got really involved and said some really nice things about last week's pod Um, and uh, please keep on listening